1: As you're talking to them and showing them the Lord and you're showing them what had happened to you and the change in your life and you're looking into their eyes and they are like what's going on in there McFly hello what's going on in there you want to know we want so much to connect with people to show them that we're, we're no different than they are except we're saved we're sinners saved by grace It's not a difference between us except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference that has made in our lives, and we want to connect with them. We want to show them the hope that lies within us. When you
0: share the gospel with someone, it's easy to want to know what they are thinking. Are they connecting with the story you're telling? Do they understand the love the Father has for them? In today's message, Pastor Dave shares that you simply trust in the Lord that His word doesn't come back void. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22 As he begins his message, Paul's Apologia, the final straw.
1: We're going to be in Acts 22. So if you'll turn to Acts 22, we are specifically looking at Acts 22, verses 16 through 22 today. Acts 22, beginning in verse 16. I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently, please. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem that I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Then they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He's not fit to live. Okay, where are my literature, folks? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Does anybody know what an idiom is? Does anybody know what an idiom is? Well, an idiom is a combination of words that has a figurative meaning due to its common usage. An idiom's figurative meaning is separate from the literal meaning or the definition of the words which it's made. And idioms are used in all countries and all languages. Did you know that there are about 25,000 idioms in the English language? I thought that was interesting. How many of you heard the idiom, the straw that broke the camel's back? Probably even used it before, the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, the idiom, the straw that broke the camel's back, is from the Arabic proverb about how a camel is loaded beyond its capacity to move or stand. This is a reference to any process by which cataclysmic failure, in this case, a broken back, is achieved by a seemingly inconsequential addition, in case a single straw, in this point. This also gives rise to the phrase, the final straw, the last straw. A lot of technical words, wasn't it? A lot of big words, big meanings. But if you're like myself, you need simple. You need simple. Well, when I was a kid, I grew up watching Sally Star. And one of the things Sally Star always played was Popeye. Always Popeye. And right before Popeye ate his finish, what did he say? It's all I can stands because I can't stands no more. An idiom about the straw that broke the camel's back. Aha, I bet you didn't know that. It's all I can stand because I can't stand no more. Well, today's message is entitled The Final Straw. The final straw. The Apostle Paul is coming to a crucial point in his message, in his testimony that he's been giving. We've been studying his testimony now over the last four weeks or so. He's coming to a crucial point, and he wants to close the gap between Jew and Gentile. He wants to close this gap, and he's trying to forge everything together. He he wants to tell these men that he was called by Christ to do the things that he's done. He was called. He saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He heard his voice. He knows him well enough, and he was called to do this thing. But he has a special calling, and now he wants to tell them about that special calling He wants the group to know that the Lord placed a special calling upon his heart. And he's going to tell them that it was the Lord that sent him to the Gentiles. And his hope is that this would be the connecting element, bringing Jews and Gentiles into the one church that Christ died for, and he made the two one the church. Let's review a little bit. Paul has been taken to the barracks after being in the temple with, they thought, a Gentile. The mob followed them to the barracks, and Paul sees an opportunity here to give his testimony, to give the gospel message. Paul never missed an opportunity to give the message. He never missed an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. So he starts to give these guys his testimony, and it's called his apologia. It's the word for defense in Greek. He's giving his apologia. And he reviewed with them in their own native tongue so that they would listen and hear, wait a minute, this guy speaks Hebrew, wow. So they got his attention. They got his attention. He got their attention. He reviewed with them their native tongue. He told them that he was just like them. He was a Jew. He was zealous for the law just like they were. They had something in common. How he persecuted this sect, these Christians. He was zealous for the law of Moses. He also told them that while I was on the way to Damascus, something happened. Something happened. A light came from heaven and I was thrown off my horse. I was thrown off my horse, and his voice speaks to me. Wow. I was on my way to heaven to arrest those who believed in this Jesus, who followed this way. Remember, way was another way, another type of meaning Christian. Who followed this way. I was going there with letters, and I was going to drag these people back to Jerusalem and punish them, even to death if I have to. But as we were going, me and my troop, this great big bright light shone. I fell off my horse, and off I heard heard his voice, Saul, Saul are you persecuting me? I was blinded by this light, he says, but I responded to the voice because I knew it had authority. There was something different about this voice, and I responded to it. I said, well, who are you, Lord? Remember we said the Greek word for Lord is kurios? It means supreme one, God. Paul recognized the authority of the voice. He recognized it as being divine, and he responded accordingly. He told these men that the voice introduced himself to me. The voice told me who it was. It was Jesus of Nazareth. It was Jesus of Nazareth who talked to me, right there on the road. I was blinded, and he said, go to Damascus, and I'll show you what to do. I had to go to Damascus being led by the hand. I was blind. I couldn't see a thing. So the guys I was with took me by the hand, and they actually led me there. And for three days, I was there. Three days, I was there. And you know what I was doing? I was praying. I was praying for three days while I didn't have my sight. And then all of a sudden, a man named Ananias came knocking on my door. Ananias had been sent by the Lord. You know, Paul called Ananias a devout man, according to the law. He was still trying to connect with the Jews, still trying to make them see that they had this commonality. He said, Ananias came to me. And guess what Ananias did? He prayed with me. I received my sight, and he spoke to me, and he told me great things. Now, Paul never says that Ananias was a believer. We know Ananias is a believer because in Acts 9, verse 10, Luke calls Ananias a disciple of the Lord. So we know he's a believer, but he's also a Jew. Paul doesn't say he's that. We read in verses 14 and 15 of the verse of Acts, Paul is now addressing them all. He said, Then he, which is Ananias, said this to me, The God of our fathers has chosen you, talking to Paul, that you should know his will. See the just one, hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Notice here Paul says the God of our fathers. Paul is saying that he was calling the same God that they worship, Jehovah, the God of our fathers. This is the one saying that Jehovah was the father of none other than Jesus Christ. He was giving him the entire gospel in one nutshell. Warren Wiersbe has this interesting comment, quote, Note Paul's wisdom as he identified with Ananias, a devout Jew who kept the law and who called him brother. Also note that Ananias attributed Paul's great experience to the God of our fathers. In quoting Ananias, Paul gave reason for the listeners to accept his salvation experience and to call to service. Paul had seen the just one or the righteous one This is a title for the Messiah. Paul was now commissioned by God himself to take this message to be his witness before all men. This, of course, would mean the Gentiles, but Paul didn't say that until later, unquote. Paul has shown his entire testimony now to these men. Remember, he talked about his BC days, what he was before Christ. He then talked about his conversion, what we just studied, what happened along the way, how he declared Jesus as Lord and became born again. He talked about being the new man, this new creation that Christ had given him. That he had he been come, this new man. And then he talked about his calling. I've been called to be a witness to all men. He exposed his life to these men, exposed it to the core. He exposed it because he knew the value of a testimony. Because within the testimony itself lies the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we give our testimony to other people, they can see in it the gospel of Christ, how we were once this way, but we were saved, born again because of Jesus Christ, and we are now not that way anymore. We are a new creature. This is what a testimony does. Paul knew that in each testimony the gospel was presented Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's the only way to salvation, the power of God. In his testimony, Paul affirms that Jesus of Nazareth was alive. I saw him. I witnessed. He was there. Paul said he saw his glory. He heard his voice. Now, now the people listening to him, they know the official stance. They knew the Judaism view of Jesus Christ. They knew what the religious leaders said. The religious leaders said, well, hey, you know, This guy died. He was some sort of prophet. He died, and then we buried him, and and his disciples stole the body. And that was the official response by the Jewish religious people. That was Paul's thought while he was on the way to Damascus. That's how Paul used to think, the same way that the Pharisees used to think. Paul thought that way because he was one of them. Do you ever wonder when you're reading Scripture? I mean, I do. I'm always wondering about things. What were these men thinking when Paul was speaking to them? What was going through their mind? Do you ever think about those? I do. I, I know I'm weird. Were these things that Paul was saying making any difference in their lives at all? Was it showing them who Paul was? Were these making any difference about how they viewed Jesus? Did they feel the tug of the Holy Spirit against their heart? How the Holy, you know how the Holy Spirit works in their hearts. And so, did they feel that tug and were they just ignoring it? We don't know much about this group of men, do we? We know that some of them gathered that day were saved. Because remember back in Acts 21.20, it said that there were a myriad of believers in Jerusalem, a myriad, which were thousands. So we have to assume that many of these men here were saved. They were born again, we think. But they were zealous for the law. So what does this mean? Does this mean they were confused about their salvation? Or they kind of... You know, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the law. What were they trusting in for salvation? We really don't know. You ever speak to somebody and, and talk to them and you're sharing your testimony with them and you're looking at them and you're trying to say, What's going on in that brain? As you're talking to them and showing them the Lord and you're showing them what had happened to you and the change in your life and you're looking into their eyes and they're like, What's going on in there? McFly, hello? What's going on in there? You want to know. We want so much to connect with people, to show them that we're we're no different than they are, except we're saved. We're sinners, saved by grace. There's not a difference between us, except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference that has made in our lives, and we want to connect with them. We want to show them the hope that lies within us. We want to show them Christ. We desperately want to see the change in their lives. We want them to see the change that the Lord did in our lives, but we can't be sure of what they're thinking. So what do we do? We trust in the Lord that his word doesn't come back void. We trust in the Lord that when we give the gospel message in our testimony, that it's coming and doing what it's supposed to do, touching their hearts. We trust that the Lord will pierce their heart with the truth, and the individual that we're speaking to, the light will go on and they'll go, wait a minute, something's different about this guy. Something's really different, and their hearts would be open, and their eyes would be open to Jesus Christ. I said this before from this very venue People want to see that which is real. They're tired of phonies. People are tired of phonies. They've been led by phonies all their lives. The whole world has tricked us into believing the lie. They have tricked us to believing in the lie. You want to know what clothes to wear? Turn on TV. They'll tell you. You know what car to buy? Turn on TV. They'll tell you. You want to know how to smell pretty? Turn on TV. They'll tell you. TV tells us everything we need to know. You want to get the girl or guy of your dreams? Turn on TV. They'll tell you. You want to buy a diamond? Go to Jared's. TV told me. The world has filled our hearts and our minds with garbage, and we're believing the lie. We're believing the lie. And I think I've told this venue before. Pardon me if I digress. But it's, eventually, we'll be singing Christmas carols. Yeah, you know, eventually. Down the pike. Sooner than you think. But the one thing that bugs me most of all is that crazy Christmas commercial well, the girl's outside, and the whole family's out there, and there's a bow around this little car, and she's all happy, and she's all glad. All right, of so she turns around, and here comes this brand-new, big-old car. By And there's a one in her heart, well, I want to smack that girl right in the face. But that's what the world tells you. The world says what you have ain't good enough. Who you are aren't good enough. you got to be this person. you got to be that person. But we're believing the lie. And we're sucked into it. The world needs to see real. And the world needs to see a real Jesus in us, in you. They need to see that. That draws them. See, Christianity is contagious. It's caught. Christianity is caught. As they see the actions in you, they go, I want that. I want that. I want that. Remember we talked about, I think it was last week, about the guy in the... um, In the prison camp, we talked about the guy in the prison camp and and the way he acted and the way he felt about Christ and the way he treated his aggressors and stuff like that. The men, his own men said, I could love a God like that. That's what they want. They need to see real. But we don't know what's going into their mind and and we want want to know desperately. They don't want a phony, watered-down gospel. Oh, everything's going to be okay. Let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya. Everything's going to be great. They don't need a watered-down gospel. I call that the gospel. It's nothing. They need a true gospel, a true gospel that comes from the Bible. They need the Word of God in their hearts, and they need to know that. And, and God has called us to show that. God has called us to show that. I digress. As we look at today's scriptures, we see Paul still reviewing what Ananias has said to him as we look in verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Washed away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. What a great question. What are you sitting around for, Paul? You've been born again. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I know Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit? Tells me so in Acts nine seventeen. Tells me Paul was already filled with the Holy Spirit before he got there. What are you waiting for? What's stopping you from being baptized? Why shouldn't you be baptized? You know, I love this because this is a similar question that Philip was posed to by the Ethiopian. Remember, when in in Acts 8, Philip goes to the desert and he sees the Ethiopian eunuch and he's sitting there and he's reading Isaiah and and Philip comes by the Lord and the Lord pushes him up there and he he explains Isaiah to him. And the Ethiopian wants to be born again. He wants to know this God and he says, what keeps me from being baptized? He says in, in Acts 8, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip answers, If you believe in your heart, you may. Ah. Paul wrote to the Roman believers in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And listen to the Ethiopian's answer in Acts 8, verse 37. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Boom! He's born again. Now comes baptism. Born again, and then He is baptized. In the next verse, in the very, very next verse in 38... He's baptized by Philip. Baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of what has happened inside. It's an outward expression. It's it's showing your faith in Christ before everybody would see. It is not necessary for salvation, as some would say. There are groups that say you have to be baptized in order to be saved. It's not necessary. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. He commanded us to be baptized. But time and time and time again in Scripture, it's proven that you do not have to be baptized to be saved. When we are baptized, we are baptized by faith into the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he commanded us to do so. Paul writes in Romans 6, 1-6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. Baptism, representing the death of the fleshly life, the old life, the old nature, the old ambitions, the old desires, they're dead, buried with Christ, coming out of the water in the newness of Christ, the new man, the newness that we have. That's the representation. Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. This is the message of the entire Word of God, that the spiritual life always outweighs the fleshly life. The spiritual life is always that which is better than the fleshly life. How do we get that spiritual life? It's a life that's only obtained by a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's how we get that new life. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said to the disciples that I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. The abundant life is found only by living and walking in the Holy Spirit. The abundant life is found by living and walking in the Holy Spirit. Paul calls upon the name of the Lord. He is born again, and then he is baptized. Now, as we previously studied, when we look at Acts 16 and 17 in chapter 22, there's a gap of approximately three years there. We've studied this before when we went through Acts 9. When Paul is born again, when Paul is baptized, he stays a little while in Damascus, then he goes to Arabia. He's there for at least three years And then he comes back to town. There's a big ruckus, and they have to lower him down in a basket. He becomes the first basket case. It was a cheap joke. I had to say it. But after that, he returns to to Damascus. And then you can read all that. Then he goes to Jerusalem. You can go back and read Acts 9. You can also read Galatians 1, 11 through 24, and that puts all those pieces together for you. But upon Paul's return to Jerusalem, he's in the temple, and he's praying. He's in the temple and he's praying again. He's telling these guys, hey, I was in the temple. I'm a good Jew. I go to temple. He's trying to relate to them. But he's in a trance and the Lord speaks again. Look at verses 17 and 18 in Acts 22. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple. I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Upon Paul's return, he goes in there, he sees this. The Lord told Paul at that time, leave Jerusalem. These people won't receive your witness. And we know that Paul will avoid death by leaving and obeying the Lord's command. Again, Acts 9, 29 and 30. You can read that for yourselves. But Paul thought he had a better idea. He must have been like Ford. He had a better idea. And Paul said, wait a minute, Lord. Well, it's almost like he said, not so. Look at verses 19 and 20. So I said, Lord... They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul saying, Lord, I got it all covered. I got it all planned out, Lord. This is the way we're going to do it. Paul thought he could still win people to Christ, so he debated with the Lord.
0: You are sure. When Jesus left earth following His resurrection, His followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the Book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.